Hi, thanks for tuning in to episode five of Innovation Activists, Designing Healthcare's Future. I'm Reed Omery, and today we're broadcasting out of Nashville, Tennessee, with our special guest, Susan Bratton. Susan is an entrepreneur, author, and public speaker. She is also the founder and chief executive officer of Saver Health, a company that designs personalized nutrition plans for cancer patients. Susan, welcome. Thanks so much for joining us. Can you please start by telling us about your career path and the business you've created? Absolutely. It's so great to be on your program today. I spent 18 years on Wall Street as a healthcare services investment banker, where I worked with a wide variety of healthcare services companies, including health insurers, physician practice management companies, hospitals, nursing homes, health IT companies, pretty much anything in the services space, I probably did a deal in at one point or the other. And um, I focused on raising capital and mergers and acquisitions. I lost a dear friend in 2009 to a brain tumor. And that was really the catalyst that ultimately led me to starting Saver Health which is a uh, nutrition-focused, AI-based nutrition care management platform for people with cancer. And what we are is is really a a tech-enabled business that helps cancer patients navigate the cancer journey from diagnosis into treatment, recovery, and survivorship. And along the way, provide them with advice and counsel on managing nutritional issues and just living as healthy as they can during cancer treatment by really addressing nutritional side effects and ensuring that they get the right amount of calories and nutrients uh, that that they require. You said that it started with a very difficult time with a friend who had brain cancer. Was that the impetus for you to recognize that there was an unmet need? Yes, so exactly. So when, when my friend Eric Well, when he was diagnosed with cancer, he began to experience terrible nutritional side effects, lost a lot of weight, and um, he and his family went to the doctors and said, you know, what can I eat to improve my chances of living, um, number one, and and just um, feeling better. And he was told that nutrition didn't matter and to eat whatever he wanted. And this really struck me as odd because I've been a vegetarian since I was 18 years old. So I'm a big believer that nutrition really does matter. But as a healthcare services banker, I knew that evidence-based literature is how medicine is practiced. So what I did, because I thought this was such a, such a strange kind of thing to be told, I said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go do a deep dive into the evidence-based literature, and I'm going to try to understand what is the state of play in the world of oncology nutrition, and does it really matter? And and part of this was really my desire to prove that nutrition did matter because I believe that it did, or certainly to to find out what it it meant. And I came away with just an astounding amount of research and facts that show that proper nutrition in cancer patients really does a couple of things. First is, it improves the clinical and quality of life outcomes of patients. But if you address the nutritional issues of cancer patients, you keep patients out of the hospital, you keep them out of the ER, and you keep them off of supportive care pharmaceuticals, all of which drive up healthcare spending. In addition to it really mattering to patients, it also matters to the insurance companies, the health insurers that are covering them. And the other thing that I found was that uh, malnourished patients are less adherent to therapy, experience greater rates of toxicity, 
complication and suspension, as well as non-adherence to drug regimen, all of which impacts their outcomes. And so what I have found subsequently is that there's a great deal of interest in the pharmaceutical industry to address the nutritional issues of patients in order to help patients do better on therapy. So if you look at the healthcare landscape, whether you're a payer, a provider, a patient, or a pharmaceutical company, if the nutritional issues of cancer patients are addressed, everybody wins. And so once I proved to myself that there was really strong evidence-based science um, backing up uh, the benefits of nutrition and nutrition intervention, then I said, okay, I'm going to start a business that helps people like my friend Eric and his family get access to safe evidence-based nutrition uh, and nutritional resources. Why do you think when Eric was going through his treatment that no one had really considered his nutritional status? I think one of the biggest issues and one of the reasons why nutrition is not offered in, in many healthcare settings, the first is most medical schools don't cover nutrition and physicians practice what they are taught. Um, understandably, that's kind of the, the name of the game. And um, if they're not taught nutrition, it's certainly hard to recommend it. Number two is there are a lot of people in the nutrition world generally speaking, that do not adhere to evidence-based science. And, you know, I would even go so far as to say that they promise uh, false cures. And that makes doctors pretty nervous, as it should. And and so um, I think there's a reputational issue. The third issue is access. There's a shortage of oncology credential registered dietitians in the United States today. It's hard to recommend a nutrition intervention when there's nobody in the cancer center that's an oncology credentialed registered dietitian. And I guess the fourth thing I would say is in the instance that there are oncology credentialed registered dietitians, there's still a shortage. And so they tend to tend to see the patients who are the sickest and the most malnourished rather than what I would call a more preventative approach that intervenes earlier in the disease progression in order to actually prevent some of those nutritional issues from developing in the first place. When you're recruiting members to join your team, Do some of them have personal stories of cancer, either within themselves, their family members, or friends? Absolutely. I would say without exception, every single person that works for Saver Health, either they're working in the field, they're an oncology credentialed registered dietitian or nurse, or on the business side, every single person has had a personal experience with a friend or a family member. And it's been kind of a life-changing sort of moment in their in their in their life causes them to step back and say, you know what, this really changed my life. I want to do something to help, you know, fill in the blank. My grandmother, my mother, my sister. I want to take what I've learned and reach out and help others. I would imagine that really empowers them to want to get up in the morning and come to work and do great things that save her health. Oh, absolutely. We have just the most incredibly dedicated team. Uh, working at Saver Health. And, and, you know, I think everybody comes with the same can-do, positive attitude, commitment to the mission. Our, our true north is improving patients and caregivers' lives, making their lives better by addressing their nutritional issues. Susan, you established Saver Health starting with the story of Eric and the suffering that he experienced during his own treatment. At that time, you clearly recognized that there was an unmet need for him regarding his nutrition, and that really seems to be what sparked you to form Saver Health. 
There are also many other struggles that each of us come across in our daily lives. And it seems that if we pay attention to those struggles, those unmet needs, we each might have the opportunity to consider launching a company that addresses those needs. What advice would you give to somebody who's wondering, you know, can I do it? Is it worth it? Should I start my own company? I think, I mean, I'll tell you that I wish I would have done this sooner um, than I did in my, in my career because it's been the most incredibly rewarding experience for me. And so what I would say as how that relates to advice, what I would say is just do it. Um, the, the Nike motto, you know, just do it. If you have a, an idea and you've had an experience where you think there's a business, go for it. Now, that doesn't mean throw passion to the wind and, you know, just quit your day job and just, you know, start something from scratch before doing your research. What it means is when I say just do it, I say write a business plan or sketch out a business plan. Do your primary research. Look at who the competitors in the market are, if any. Look at the competitive dynamics in the market. Is it a regulated industry? Isn't it a regulated industry? Figure out what your business model is. What's the best business model, the most profitable business model? You know, really do your research. In my case, it was doing the deep dive into the evidence-based literature to prove that there was something that the medical community could get their hands around. And the other thing I would say is, as part of the do your homework, is also begin to think about, can you surround yourself with advisors who will ultimately help you make that business a success? And so all of those are important pieces of homework that should give you an understanding of, is there a business here? If so, what is the business? What is the business model? And how am I going to make it succeed? And then you can quit your day job. So the just do it sort of go for it mentality is really not as much of jumping off the high dive, maybe the intermediate dive. <laughs> um, don't, t- don't do anything too extreme, but believe have confidence, let your passion um, for whatever problem it is that you're trying to solve, let that guide you, but balance that out with some very hard for business talking and tackling of research and market analysis and things like that. How long did it take you to conduct your initial research before you had a sense that, hey, this actually might be real, this actually could happen? My initial research was, was about six months because I was doing it while I was still working um, on, a, on a Wall Street job. I had to do it at night and on the weekend. So it took me about six months for the initial research. But once I kind of had that research done, then I left my job. And it was another year of doing deeper research um, in terms of interviews with oncologists, oncology dietitians, nurses. I took a, a good year, really to put all of this to work where I had a business started and incorporated and all of that. And it's so funny. I had breakfast with um, another entrepreneur this morning. We were talking about how the first time you do it, it takes you a lot longer. And he's on to his second company. And he said, <laughs> you know, the things that took me a good year to do, I didn't, you know, in a month. And I laughed and I said, yeah, you know, so many lessons learned. But, you know, if you've never done it before, you're going to learn. How scary was that? It was pretty scary. You know, the kind of the concept of no paycheck, nobody paying for your benefits, you know, those sort of things are are pretty scary. But on the other hand, it was incredibly exhilarating and exciting to be 
creating something and building something and also honoring the memory of my friend Eric and, and really creating something around what was a really terrible experience for, for his family, for him, and the belief that we can really change people's lives in a very positive and meaningful manner. Yeah. What was it like for you, Susan, from being focused on mergers and acquisitions within Wall Street to pivot to launching your own company? Oh, my gosh. Well, the learning curve is incredibly steep. It was steep because I think starting a business is just hard if you've never done it before. But I was really fortunate in the fact that I chose to do a business in an industry vertical that I knew pretty well. I didn't have to get up to speed on what's Medicare and Medicaid and health insurers, what are payers, providers. I didn't have to kind of figure that out and understand the regulations in the in the industry, the regulatory environment. Um, so that was really helpful. And I think working with companies, that was my career really, was taking companies, taking them public, helping them do financing, selling them. So I had a sense of kind of what are some of the core competencies and, and areas that you need to have within your company, operations, finance, marketing. You know, I had a pretty decent business background just from my MBA and from and from working for almost 20 years uh, with corporations that, you know, made the, the learning curve a little bit easier. But <laughs> let me tell you something. I learned a lot. I've learned so much about so many different things in business that it's, it's kind of fascinating to look back and realize how far Saber Health has come, how far I've come as an executive, how much I've learned. And there's a saying, we're part of the uh, Startup Health Accelerator Program, um, the headquarters of which is based in New York, but it's a global program. And um, Steve Prine, who is the CEO there, um, talks about something with entrepreneurs that I think is really important, and I'll share it with you. And what he says is, you know, when you're in a boat and you're going away from the shore, the horizon never gets any closer. And you paddle and you paddle and you paddle, and it just, you know, it's kind of the same it's just the same distance away, right? You know, that end where the sky meets the ocean. And he said, but if you turn around and you look back at the beach, you can see how far you've come. You know, his point is, there are many points here, but I think one of the most important points, and I share it with the other entrepreneurs, is it's really important to look back and see how far you've come and what you've accomplished it's a very hard journey. And so today where I'm standing and I look back and I think, oh my goodness, so many things that I didn't know how to do before. And so that's incredibly rewarding, but it, you know, it's been, you know, it's just very hard. And, and, um, you know, one of the other things that happens so much in certain businesses, startup world, for sure, if you're an actor or a model, it also is the same thing. And that is being able to handle rejection. You're going to get a lot of no's. You're going to get a, no, a lot of no's from people who can write checks to finance your business. You're going to get no from customers. You know, the ability to to get back up again, dust yourself off and, you know, go pitch another client or go ask another investor for money. You know, that's a very hard thing to do just psychologically and emotionally. And so you really have to learn and develop a sense of kind of internal fortitude and, and a, you know, kind of iron steel stomach because being an entrepreneur is like riding a roller coaster. Within the same day, you can be at the top and just so happy. And then you can, you know, ride that roller coaster all the way to the bottom and midday, you're at the bottom. And you have- <laughs> 
Right. And you have internal during the day, you are riding a roller coaster. So it's not like, oh, over the course of a year, it was a roller coaster. I mean, you know, within one hour, you can have a good call and a bad call. And so I think that's something else. Just personally, I have really learned. Yeah, but I'd actually even say I've probably calmed down, which is kind of funny. But, you know, my ability to, to just ride the roller coasters, ups and downs, and be very even keeled. It's something that I've really had to learn to do. And I think anybody who goes into this needs to go in with their eyes wide open and understand that, you know, it's going to be really hard. It's going to be emotionally hard. It's going to be physically hard. You're going to be tired. Um, You're going to have successes. You're going to have failures. There are going to be days that you wake up and you say, you know what? I'm done. I can't, you know, my business isn't going to work. And by the end of the day, you're saying, you know what? I can do it. And so I think you have to go in with the mindset of, I'm not going to, I'm not going to ride the highs and I'm not going to ride the lows. I'm going to try to stay right in the middle and know that what I'm getting into with my eyes wide open is it's going to be tough and it's going to be a roller coaster, but I'm not going to let that throw me off. That's such an inspiring message, Susan. Thank you so much for sharing the story of what led you to create Saver Health. Is there any last advice that you'd like to leave with our audience? The first one is just a a call out for committing to your health. And there's a really simple way of doing that from a nutritional perspective. And that is make a commitment to making two thirds of your plate plant-based vegetables, fruits, things like that, um, because it'll be good for your health, cancer and non-cancer. And the second is, it's back to what I said earlier, follow your passion. I encourage everyone who's thinking about jumping off the the diving board and becoming an entrepreneur to, to pursue their passion, to do it, but make sure that they do the research. I, I couldn't be happier doing what I'm doing. I love what I do and I wish I would have done it sooner. So I encourage people to, to go for it. Thank you, Susan. This has been a terrific opportunity for all of us to hear your story and to be inspired by you. Oh, you're welcome. It's been my pleasure. For our listeners, I'd like to leave you with the opportunity to connect via Twitter with Susan and myself. Susan's handle is at Susan Bratton underscore one, and I can be reached at Reed Omery. We'd love to hear ways that you're considering to leverage your own passions for healthcare innovation. Please share your thoughts with us and stay tuned for our next episode of Innovation Activists next month. <laughs>